This is Jen Jett Barrett, and you are listening to the Go and See podcast, a podcast miniseries that runs alongside six weeks of video content that is designed to help you take inventory of your spiritual and emotional health. Over the next few weeks, listen in on conversations with some of my very dear friends. We all share a hope to see this generation of men and women walk in greater freedom and faithfulness as we co-labor together for the kingdom. If we're abiding in him and abiding in the vine, and we remember that we are co-laboring together, it's worth it's worth the cost, Jen. It's worth uh, being emotionally healthy so that we can co-labor in the kingdom and bring people to him and let his light and his glory shine throughout all the nations. And we can preach the gospel together the way that he designed us to do it. In this episode, my friend Rachel and I talk about practical ways to practice presence with people, how spiritual and emotional health helps us sustain and hold space for the work of co-laboring, and specifically how to apply these principles to the work of racial reconciliation. Hey, Rachel Wade. Hi, Jen Jed. So good Thank to you. be here. Thank you for joining me on this last podcast of the Go and See series. It is crazy that we are here. Man, and you know what? I've been listening all the way from San Francisco, California, and how cool that I can be a part of the series that you're doing through your church. And uh, I feel like I'm, I'm there with you, even though I'm not. So congratulations on a wonderful series. Thank you. Well, you and I share a heart for this content, and we have talked a lot about it. And so you, you were just the right person um, to kind of wrap it all up at the end. Tell us a little bit about you and your family there in San Francisco. Sure. So my name is Rachel Wade. I live in San Francisco, California. I am the wife to my wonderful husband, Justin, and a mama to two littles, Maya, who's almost six, and Caleb, who's almost three. And here in San Francisco, I lead at my local church. I love the local church. Um, I teach there. Um, I disciple there. But then I also um, am the lead encourager at All of Us, which is a faith-based platform for women to just tell their everyday stories and encouraging one another and pointing people back to Jesus. And I help you with Camp Well. And she helps me with Camp Well, (laughs) which I'm so grateful. She is one of our camp counselors and has brought so much um, heart for community to that space. Which is why I wanted you on this last episode, because um, these this last video we did, we talked about, and you actually called it this, we've had some offline conversations, but the spiritual discipline of practicing presence with people. Yes. And you and I are very passionate about this. Yes. Um, I, and I'll, we will be honest with people listening. We are passionate about it because... There have been there has been a time we were not great at it. Yes, and so true. we are also still learning how to do it well, and so we want to be very clear on that. But um, I would love to just start with with us talking about why you think it. Why do you think we struggle with practicing presence with people? I think that we struggle mainly because we center ourselves. And we're seeing that a lot play out here 
in America as a whole, but really in our everyday lives, it is a struggle to not think about ourselves, what we want to eat, what we want to do. It's really all about us. That's our sinful nature. And so practicing presence of people is really saying, you know what, I am going to put myself, my needs aside at times and sit with my friend that's grieving. I'm going to sit with my friend that is hurting um, due to the racial tensions in our country. And I'm going to be there for my friend who's celebrating an engagement or that's getting married. Um, It's just so important, but it's so hard whenever we're thinking about ourselves. And none of us like to say, oh, yeah, I'm just thinking about myself all the time. I'm a selfish person. Um, No, no, we would never like to say that. But it is definitely our simple nature that creeps up and creeps in and keeps us from being present with people. Yeah, and I... I love that you say even subconsciously, we don't realize, we would probably never say I'm being selfish. Right. But if we look at the things that keep us, um, a lot of the things that keep us busy, I'm not going to say all the things that keep us busy, Mm -hmm. um, but we talked about this in week five, just how hurried we live our lives. And it is good to pause for a moment and ask ourselves, is my hurry born out of my need to build my kingdom or God's kingdom right. you know, is that busyness and hurry. Is it, am I the center of that? Right. Um, or am I building something for the kingdom? Yeah. And because it's so hard, you, we have to do it intentionally. Like this is not something that you or I are like, oh yeah, this just comes natural. Uh, we have to be intentional about how we're practicing presence. And so there's, you know, a lot of ways that I've just had to learn, you know what, I've, I've got to calendar this. I've got to do this because people are important. Jesus delighted in people. Therefore, I need to delight mm-hmm. in people and being present with them is a way that I can do that. Yeah. And I loved just in my studying of Sabbath rest, even that it said, you know, Jesus, Jesus was busy, but he was never hurried. Yes. And it's worth repeating because again, we can also be busy with good things, with with practicing presence with people. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I love that you touched on, you know, there's practical things we can do. So what are some of those things that as you've been on this journey to grow in this area, the spiritual discipline of, of practicing presence with people, and as you share some of these practical things you've done, almost do it, share with us, like, what what does it look like to practice presence with people? Does it just, you know, some people might be, is it just looking at someone in the eyes when they're talking to you, you know, or is it more than that? Sure. So definitely looking someone in the eyes when talking to them, um, putting your phone down. I have really, that's been a hard one for me, but that's definitely something that I just practically do when I'm with someone, whether it's at a meeting, whether it's at a lunch outing, no matter what, um, I'm putting my phone down and I'm looking them in their eyes, but a really huge thing that seems simple, but is something that we all can implement is our calendars, whether that's a paper calendar or whether that's your Google calendar online. I put in little things that friends say. So for instance, um, we have a mutual friend that's expecting a baby. She's got an upcoming big appointment. I know that she's got some anxiety around that appointment. So that's in my calendar to remind me of that day where 
she not only will need prayer, but for me to just reach out with a text and be intentional and say, hey, I'm with you. I'm not there in the flesh with you, but I remember that this is a big day for you and um, I'm praying with you and I'm and I'm there. So I do a lot of calendaring. I do uh, big events in people's lives. I do birthdays, but these are ways that I can uh, reach out via text, via phone, box, and just say, I'm with you in this and I haven't forgotten. And I think those little small ways that we do this, it lets people know that they are loved that they are seen. And generally, I think that a lot can be birthed out of people realizing that somebody else is caring about the details of their life, kind of like Jesus. He cares about the details of our life. And so when we see that through his people and we see that people are um, calendaring, you know, the little and big things in our life, um, it points us back to how much we're loved by him. And so it's those little small practices that I have to be intentional about that really have helped me to practice presence with people, despite sometimes even not being physically present with them, but present with them in their heart, you know, our hearts and our souls. Yeah. One of my favorite names of God is in Genesis and it's his name that means the God who sees me. Yes. Yes. And, um, Hagar said that of God, that he was a God who saw her. Mm. And I think it's the only time in scripture that he is called that. And I love it so much because it represents so much intimacy. And I think you're a hundred percent right. When we can be that for other people, yes. when we remember people, when we pause with people, when we hold space for people, they feel it's, I have witnessed it in my life, which is why I think, and I would, I'm going to say, you probably say this too, the more we've been the recipient of that, the more we've been just compelled to be that for people because you just start to realize, man, um, I'm carrying this by myself. We can, again, we all struggle with this isolate isolation where we, we try to carry things on our own, but for someone to remember us, that is God seeing us Absolutely. in that moment. And it is so powerful. Absolutely. And you could even take it a step further and say, for you can maybe not do this to every person in your life, but for those that you truly want to get to know, like Jen, I know that you are a lover of words. And so knowing your Enneagram number, knowing your love mm. language, like mm-hmm. these are other ways that we can be intentional in our relationships to where we can really say we see you. So I can be intentional about writing you cards when having them mailed to you, snail mail, or I can send you a box. You know, like these are ways yeah. that I can meet you, Jen Jet, and Jen Jet Barrett, <laughs> into yeah. um, how I, I'm loving on you and how you specifically are being seen. So you can even get more detailed and more specific um, as you really think about your friendships in your life and really start to really love people well. Rhett and I were having a conversation with one uh, of our couple friends here in town and and we started getting into this conversation about intentional friendship between, you know, as couples or, you know, men having intentional friendships and women having intentional friendships. And he was saying, you know, Jen, it seems easier for women. Why do you think that is? And the husband had just said, I think we're just, I think as men, we're busy. We just stay busy. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's different. And we just touched on that. I think it doesn't matter what gender you are. I think we um, live busy. 
and full lives. And I do think the common theme is all of us slowing down long enough to practice presence. I think it's evident in our time with the Lord. And I think you and I've seen fruit of that when we slow down long enough with the Lord, he brings people to mind that maybe you didn't calendar. Yes. But they have a need in that moment and we slow down long enough for the Lord to bring them to mind to speak to us about somebody. And I've seen that, which you have mentioned before, this connection between biblical friendship, which I think looks like a lot of the things we've talked about, and this pursuit of being emotionally healthy. How have you seen that connection play out in your life? Well, the more that I get to know Jesus and the closer that I get to him, the more I see how being emotionally healthy is such a big part of my walk with him and how I relate to other people in my life. So even knowing where I am on that emotional healthy scale, you know, uh, that the, and spending time with him, that makes me be a better friend. If I'm an emotionally healthy adult and I'm leaning into who Jesus is, who his character is, um, how he showed us, how he lived with other people, then as a result, um, I can be a better friend to people. And being a better friend is really just emulating how Jesus, when he walked on the earth, how he was with the disciples, how he didn't center himself, how he was looking out for their needs, how he knew what the end result was. He, they had their fears, they had their doubts, they let him down, yet he still remained present with them. He still loved them. He still gave them grace. And so that is my example. And that's the difference between a biblical friendship and perhaps a worldly friendship is literally saying, you know what? I, this is not what maybe feels great to me, but I know that I am called to be a, a a Jesus loving friend to you. And that just looks different. The more and more you um, try to emulate his character, you'll see that that's completely at times centering, taking yourself out of the center of the friendship and saying, you know what, I'm going to go first. I'm going to go first on having this hard conversation. I'm going to go first on apologizing. Um, And that again, may not be what your flesh wants to do, but it's, it's putting yourself in the position to say, no, God, this is what you've called me to do. You've called me to extend mercy. You've called me to extend grace. And this is something, Jen, that I am continuously having to work on because again, our flesh wants to fight against that. That's not fair. She should have done this for me. She should have been there for me, or she should have done this because I did this for her. That's a big one. Mm. Um, but that's not the type of friend that God's called us to be. He's called us to love, not and not respect or not expect um, that same thing sometimes back in return. If we're really being a true friend, we should do it because we want to be want to be the good friend, not out of our obligation or not out of what that person can give us. There's a true distinction uh, between worldly friendship and biblical friendship. That's so good because, you know, we would say that if we are unhealthy with our expectations, with our insecurities, with our um, lack of confidence, with um, struggling with comparison, not understanding our limits, Mm -hmm. it is hard to be um, a friend in the way that, that Jesus would call us to be a friend, that biblical friendship. It is... It is not impossible, 
But I, I think what we're saying is that is why that work is so good because you can freely walk in, love well, love hard, you know, love with all you've got without expectation. Yes. Now, that is not to say that we need some core friendships that are uh, reciprocal might be yes. the word I'm looking for, yes. but, but that aren't in sync um, on mission. I think we talk a lot about that, just having those. And that's that four quarters versus a hundred pennies. You know, do you have a few where you are reciprocal, you're pouring into each other, you're showing up for each other, speaking life over each other, making time for each other. You can't make time for everyone. And you said that yeah. we can't make time for everyone, but who are those core few people that you are going to commit to make keeping mar you know creating margin for right. speaking truth to being okay if it's a hard conversation oh yeah um, because there's this mutual respect and understanding absolutely and you know we talk about this idea of holding space for one another how can we possibly hold space for other people if we are not emotionally healthy yeah and another i think another just benefit of this is having similar language. Yeah. So this is how you and I talk, you know, <laughs> to each other. This is how our community of friends talks to each other and yeah. um holds each other accountable in these in these ways. And so I think that that's been um really helpful in our group of friends. Yes. And and something that and I brought this up in the video just a couple of areas that I tools and areas of life that I have tried to engage and lean in a little more and learn how to love well. I mentioned Enneagram, but I also had mentioned, you know, in this area of racial reconciliation. And I think yes. this is a really good example right now in our country of how emotional health plays a part. I mean, we can look back all the way to the beginning of the series where we talked about the biblical place for emotions yes, and why that's important to understand, not just for ourselves, why it's important to, to understand our own biblical place for emotions, but also those of other people. I think that's really key. And then we also talked about family of origin. So in this yes. particular area of racial reconciliation, there is generations of thoughts and beliefs and perspectives and prejudices um, within race and the tensions around race that have been passed on to us. And so understanding, going back to understand that is really important. And then grief is another thing. You know, our friend Tasha Morrison does a lot of work in this area and she has, she leads by telling us to listen, to hold, it's that idea of holding space to listen and learn, to pause listen and learn, and then lament this idea of grieving um, what is broken. And then she talks about leveraging, which is this idea of doing the, doing the work. And as you and I've been having a lot of conversations this week, I'm just so, it's so evident that to engage in this work of racial reconciliation, we don't have to be emotionally and spiritually healthy to start the work, mm -hmm. but I do believe we need to be pursuing emotional and spiritual health to sustain the work. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And that a lot of that rests in what we talked about last week with Sabbath rest and um, being 
doing the work from a place of rest and putting God back on his throne to be reminded of who's in control. And so I'd love to just talk about that for a second, just where you see this this relationship between emotional and spiritual health as it relates to our current, um, not new, but our um, current awareness of racial reconciliation in our country. Right. Well, as I mentioned, like being able to be empathetic, like you mentioned, and um, that's really just sitting in the path of someone else. You may not be able to understand fully, you know, their emotions and thoughts and feelings. And this could be this very case for someone that is not a black person right now in America. But being emotionally healthy is so important because in order to humble yourself and to comfort and lament and grieve with someone that is a black person right now in our country that is experiencing a lot of hurt. It's hard to do that if you are um, not healthy. And like you said, you don't have to start there. Um, But I do think that on the path to um, being more awakened, if that, if that's you right now and you're listening and and this, all the the racial, uh, the systemic racism that has kind of cropped up over the last few weeks, if it's really awakening you, you know, to be able to sit in that with people of color and say, you know, I'm here for you. You have to be able to be comfortable with having the uncomfortable conversations and having, um, the uncomfortable things crop up. And it's really hard to do that, Jen, when you're not in a place that's healthy and being able to really grieve and lament and learn. Uh, you have to have a posture of wanting to be poured into with what God says. Um, when I think about Matthew 22 and I think about how he says that we should love him with all of our heart, soul and mind. But then the second is to love our neighbor. It's hard to truly love our neighbor when we are centering ourselves. So I think to me, that's where it starts is just saying, God, I don't know what I don't know, but I want to be healthy so that I then can sit with my brothers and sisters that are that are black in our country and understand and humble myself and change um, systemic racism and, and make it a, a better world for all of us to live in. And I would say this is the case for, um, I mean, we could sit here and list a, a long you know, line of things from sitting with someone in grief, sitting yeah. with someone um, in like any, pick any justice issue Sure, um, that there is work to be done. Uh, there is people, people who are just waiting and, you know, or suffering. And it is, it's, it is not a lot of things in on this earth are not sprints. They are marathons. And it goes back all the way to what we talked about, I think in week one about Paul using the analogy of um, training, you know, we train and it is this idea, like, are we training well for the, for the long haul of God's invitation to co-labor with him on the continual restoration of his original intent for mankind? Like this is a marathon on this earth. Right. of being present with what is broken and engaging with him to heal what is broken. And I have, um, I would love for you to speak, you know, we, we just talked about what it looks like to, you know, to be a, you know, white person doing the work of listening, learning, educating, holding space, listening to stories. Um, yes. Seeing everyone 
as uh, made in God's image, but holding space for you and your separate existence from me. Yeah. Like you have a whole separate existence of stories and history and generational um, values and commandments that have been passed on to you. So as a, as a black woman on the other side of me, what does this emotional health and spiritual health look like from your perspective in sitting in this hard, um, see really hard space of brokenness? For me personally, it looks like a lot of Sabbath, <laughs> a lot of rest because it is emotionally um, exhausting. What I'm experiencing as a black woman right now is very exhausting. And while my hope is in Christ and how I am hopeful that we are changing the trajectory of the plane that we're currently on, I am hopeful that we are going to raise our voices and make movements to end systemic racism. Um, my prayer is that we would recognize, you know, like you mentioned, the, the uniqueness and the separateness of how God made us. And, uh, but for me, it's, yeah, a lot of Sabbath rest and a lot of just continuing to center myself around Jesus because I, because of the weariness and because of even the anger and the frustration. And it's crazy as it sounds like I am excited that the country is, is awakening at the same time. There are thoughts of like, why is it taken, you know, all these recent um, murders to happen? And uh, why is it after all these years, you know, people are finally being awake. I have to temper that with um, the hope, my hope in Christ that, Things are going to change, that people are going to um, stop centering themselves on what they're used to and saying, hey, you know, let's recognize the uniqueness and the separateness of, of us all. But at the same time, let's help the one that's not being seen right now. And so my feelings and emotions are, are honestly all over the place, Jen, but um, I, remain, I remain hopeful. And in this time, I feel like that's my posture. And to use my voice and to encourage others. And even with my brothers and sisters that are white, it's also holding space for them and saying, I'm meeting you where you're at as well. Um, but knowing at the same time that I must, I must break, I must Sabbath and I must step back from that and allow God to heal my heart and sit with me just like I'm doing with uh, my other brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, that's so good to hear you say that and remind people of color that that rest is important for them as well. And what feels like there's so much work to be done, it can feel so overwhelming and daunting yes. that our flesh, which loves our comforts oh, and yeah. loves ourself, wants to check out and just, you know, turn the lights down on all the hard. And if we're going to answer God's invitation and call to co-labor with him, that we keep going, that we do not, you know, five weeks from now, when it's not as much of a headline, right. whatever the thing is, you know, it could be your friend who's walking through grief and the circumstance of that grief has now passed and people have gone back to their lives. You know, Lindsay, our friend Lindsay and Chris, they always say grief lasts longer than a casserole. <laughs> and and it is that idea of this broken world and it can feel so heavy. 
and it can feel so weighty and it can feel so daunting and impossible um, and unrelenting. Yes. But that is why through Christ, we have got to be unrelenting. That's right. And our um, acceptance of the invitation, we have got to keep showing up. Thank goodness. I mean, I... I love, and you know, said this, I love learning about Sabbath because I'm like, thank you. Where has this been all my life? I didn't realize this was the gift that you gave us so that we can sustain the work you've called us to on this earth and not to be performers or doers or get more done, but to enter in and show up to the work he's doing. He is doing the work and he invites us to join him. And if we don't do this work of emotional and spiritual health, if we don't do Sabbath rest, it will, it will feel too much. Like you said, it, it, it will become too much. The work will become way too much. But if we're abiding in him and abiding in the vine, and we remember that we are co-laboring together, it's worth, it's worth the cost, Jen. It's worth uh, being emotionally healthy so that we can co-labor in the kingdom and bring people to him and let his light and his glory shine throughout all the nations. And we can preach the gospel together the way that he designed us to do it. Friends, you did it. This was the last episode of our six-week series. As you go and see what God has in store for you, I pray you would continue taking inventory, embracing your limits, rest well, and choose obedience. We are invited to co-labor with God in the continual restoration of His original intent for mankind, and at the same time live fully present in this broken world awaiting that promised restoration. I don't believe we have to be emotionally and spiritually healthy to say yes to that invitation, but what would it look like to live out in freedom, clarity, and obedience, to live the abundant life Christ died to give?